Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Changing Tides podcast. In each episode, we invite guests to have honest conversations about their mental health journeys with the goal of destigmatizing mental health within the Asian American Pacific Islander community. Due to the nature of the podcast, we'll be discussing a variety of mental health topics and possibly triggering experiences. While we and the majority of our guests are not trained professionals, we encourage you to practice self-care while listening and seek professional guidance if you or a loved one is in need of support. With that said, let's start the episode. Um, hello, my name is Mika Joe, and I describe my mental health journey as a ride on Space Mountain. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Changing Tides podcast. We are now in season three. Uh, I'm your host, Matthew Yonamura, and I'm super excited to have this season get started. We have some really fun interviews that are in the pipeline that we already have recorded, and I'm really excited to share with you all, and we have some really big updates of Changing Tides as a whole. We just launched CT Anchor. Well, at the time of recording my little intro here, uh, we launched CT Anchor just very recently, and we're super excited about that initiative. It is our suicide prevention initiative in collaboration with QPR, who is, uh, the QPR Institute stands for Question, Persuade, Refer. Those are the three steps in their suicide prevention training. And, um, you know, those trainings and the continued work of CT Stream and then the events that we have planned for this year, um, we're really excited to get this going and continue doing the work that we do and growing upon everything that we've done in the past. And, um, you know, we're thankful for the crew that's been in the past, uh, the volunteers that have helped us along the way, the people who are here now and everything and everyone will encounter in the future. So all this is stuff that we'll be talking about throughout these episodes, I'm sure. Um, but without further ado, I'm excited to kick off episode 34 and season three with this next interview. I spoke to this person for the first time through this interview. She really just amazed me in the film that she was in. She was one of the many amazing, super talented actors in Paul Goodman's film, No No Girl. Uh, Paul was a guest speaker at our November Changing Tides Gala, and he also was a guest on this podcast just last season. With time, I'm sure I'm going to be having more and more of the No No Girl cast on the podcast. I hope to, so at least, but I'll try to space it apart because um, I'm fascinated with all of them and just Asian American uh, individuals in the entertainment space. And I'll try to space them out. But without further ado, I want to introduce this interview that I had with Mika Joe. Mika, thank you so much for being on the Changing Tides podcast. Uh, I love the description of your mental health journey. Very relatable for all of us Southern Californians. Um, mm -hmm. If you're not from Southern California, look it up, but it makes a lot of sense. So Mika, could you please explain this space mountain of a mental health journey? Yeah, uh, you know, just like Space Mountain, I think there's a lot of ups and downs and twists and turns um, and a lot of not really knowing what's going on. Hmm. Um, yeah, a whole lot of that from as long as I can remember. Totally. Um, do you mind going to the beginning then and kind of talking about when your mental health journey began and when you're kind of climbing up the beginning of Space Mountain and <laughs> you're, you're getting ready for this, this roller coaster? Yeah, um, 
I think um, maybe my earliest memory, I, I've always had anxiety um, and, and just not knowing how to name it. Um, I remember in like seventh grade, I believe I had my first panic attack and didn't know it was a panic attack at all. Um, it was like I had procrastinated a really big project and it was all due and I had like forgotten all about it. Um, and then uh, I had, you know, some spouts of anxiety here and there throughout the rest of middle school and then going into high school. Um, and then my junior and senior year of high school, I think, is when it really peaked, um, where I had really bad depression and anxiety, but again, didn't know to name it that. Um, I didn't start going to therapy until this past year. <clears throat> and so, um, Greg, growing up with that, um, going through those like spells of depression and anxiety um, and dealing with that in my day-to-day -day life, because I didn't get diagnosed, I didn't think it was valid for me to claim those as being real experiences. Um, and I kind of, my time in high school, um, I got into that period, I was in like high school at the period of time when a lot of people were um, choosing words very carefully and kind of calling others out. So it was like, hey, don't say you're depressed if you don't have depression. Mm. Don't say you're anxious if you don't have anxiety. Um, which like, I, I understood, I understand kind of like what they were saying at the time of like, um, if you're just sad, it's not the same as being depressed. Those are different emotions. But because um, I had heard that and I didn't know that I was actually struggling with depression and anxiety, I didn't claim those things of when I felt like it was impossible to get out of bed on certain days or like everything was super numb. I was like, Oh, this is just like an angsty teen. I'm not actually anxious. I'm not actually depressed. Um, yeah. And then uh, going into college, um, I think I kind of looked back and can see some of those traumas, like, you know, as I'm growing and becoming an adult. Um, and uh, I don't know. I think at the time I would have maybe started to have gotten a little bit better my freshman year of college um, and learned to deal with my depression and anxiety of the pandemic hit. And that was like, yeah, full blown. Um, just got hit with everything. I think a lot of us like struggled with having to deal with everything in the world being so bleak. And then also just like the day-to-day -day life of not having people around you to support you. Um, and that really took a toll. <clears throat> and again, I, I struggled a lot with depression and didn't know it was depression. Because mm -hmm. um, I was like, oh, everyone's, everyone's feeling like this right now. Because I was also, you know, I'm on social media all the time. So I would see people post about it. And I think a lot of my generation, um, we like post and make jokes about our mental health. It's kind of like our way of dealing with it. Um, but I would see these posts of people and I was like, oh yeah, I feel that way. And they're like, you're depressed. There was like a put a, put a finger down challenge. And I was like, oh, am I? Hmm. Um, and then um, I also had some like family issues at, at that point in time too, just cause I didn't understand how to regulate my emotions and stuck in the house with my family. Um, and uh, there was a time when things were kind of lightening up and I got to play volleyball with a bunch of my friends. And all of a sudden, it was like the first time I'd seen a group of people in, you know, like seven months. Um, and I remember coming home and being like, I'm happy. 
and I went to my parents and I said, I think I was depressed. And they were like, really, were you? Like, sarcastically with me, uh-huh. we didn't know. Um, and then realizing, I think, how important it is to have people and, like, support around you. Um, and, yeah, then this past year, uh, my senior year of college, ew, that's so weird to say, <laughs> that <laughs> pandemic, that pandemic timing. Um, it's so you know, wild. My fourth year. Um, I definitely um, went through a lot of really big changes. I um, was in a BFA program and then I switched out of it. Um, So I kind of lost uh, a lot of friends and there were a lot of really abrupt things that happened um, in like rapid succession where the um, like my identity and who I was and who I felt safe with and all those things were changing so quick. Um, And I was constantly like depressed and anxious and I and then I get that point I could really name it and you know I was like very noticeable um so thankfully my mom was like you should probably go to therapy and I was like that's a good idea and we had like a therapist number um I just hadn't like reached out um and part of that was because I had had a conversation with a um uh, like a specialist that um, she did like a neuropsychological exam for me because my reading comprehension was low um, and we discovered that it was mostly based in anxiety hmm. um, yeah uh, and like feeling like because I you know I would see a really long text and then be like oh I, I because for so long I've been like I can't read then it would just that like mental thing and then being anxious about reading it and not comprehending it would lead to me not <laughs> being able to read and comprehend it um but in that whole like meeting I had with her we had talked and one of the things she said was about um talk therapy wouldn't she didn't think that it would be super valuable for me um or that it might not be valuable for me because I was already really good at um like talking through my emotions I think because I'd been through so much in my life and so many points of trauma and just learned to deal with it Mm. that my brain already was like able to do a lot of things that a therapist would point out to me um, so I think I didn't reach out because of that. Um, but then things, you know, were so low that I had no other choice but to like reach for a hand. Um, and so yeah, I started going to therapy this past year. And even though like I, I'll talk with my therapist and we have like the same realizations at the same time. Um, and it, it maybe isn't like what I thought therapy was growing up. Um, but it's been very helpful. And I think like because of that, my ability to regulate my emotions and realize when I'm getting anxious and um, triggered and everything, like I can kind of find ways to cope or at least um, like feel the emotion, but not let it take over everything. Yeah. Yeah. And then, then, then now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of mind blown by how well you spoke about that. Are you, so you, did you graduate what, in 2019 high school? Yes. Okay, so you're only two years younger than me, but high school and like I experienced those things at the same time as you in terms of the year, but like mm-hmm. at my point in high school, we weren't quite there yet. Like people weren't quite talking about mental health the way like we were in 2019. Mm-hmm. And even though like, like you just came to these things at a much earlier age than I did I think and a lot of people my age did just because 
people weren't talking and joking about it on social media. Like it's kind of a, it's, it's a sad way that people discussed it, but it yeah. opened up the dialogue at least, you know, and people weren't yeah. doing that at, when I was in high school or at least not like that. Um, so another thing that stood out though is your parents were like, Oh, you think like they, like they, they were yeah. aware. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, like how, open was your family to mental health have they always been that way or was it kind of like they grew with the times um I think they've always kind of been that way and I just didn't realize it Hmm. um I've had recent conversations with my dad my dad likes to do on his birthday like every year um or for like the past couple of years he's been doing a thing of just like ask me questions things that you um maybe wouldn't just ask me on a regular day because I, he's like aware of his own mortality, right? Um, and so being like, I don't want to leave this world and have you guys have questions that you didn't get mm. to ask. Um, and so some of those things, um, I think my brother asked like, what was the, dif- the most difficult time in your marriage or stuff like that, or um, different things of conversations about my dad's mental health. And then I opened up to both my parents talking about their mental health. Um, and both of them, have experienced a lot of trauma in their life and dealing with a lot of it. Um, And I didn't realize how much of a support system they had. And like, they're not the type of people who just kind of do it on their own and push it down. Um, But they actively had a lot of people constantly in their lives who they were bringing into these conversations, um, having support for everything they were going through, um, going to therapy when they needed it. Like, um they they're very open to mental health and I just really wasn't um I think I had my own anxiety about wanting to go to therapy um and like oh what if it doesn't work or like what if this person thinks I'm crazy um this that and the other like my own just the anxiety I have that kind of just amplified to everything um and I think my parents didn't want to push me um but when I like was really ready and I was like okay I want to do this they were very good about like offering that support mm-hmm. that's awesome I mean I I just like I'm so mind blown by how how different it is even though it's like a two age two year age difference just it seems like whenever I talk to people of like your age range I make you sound like you're a toddler but you're not like <laughs> but but like those two years like the difference in how people utilize social media and like open up these conversations it, it's like pretty mind-blowing to me uh how yeah. far like the mental health discussion has come yeah I um, think it's helpful too my brother he's three years older than me so he maybe has a closer experience to you um but he's a um a nurse for uh Pete's oncology um mm-hmm. so he works with children with cancer um but we always had kind of like a rocky relationship, but there was a certain point um, when he was maybe in his second or third year of college and started going to like clinicals um, and being around different patients and learning how to help other people communicate their stresses and their feelings. Um, He stepped in on times when my parents and I would go kind of like clash um, and uh, have these arguments that were really based in like misunderstanding and he would like step in um and help also regulate those um because he understood my experience closer as someone who's still in my generation um but also is more mature than I am 
uh, sometimes. <laughs> um, and so was able to look with like, without the emotion that I had clouding my judgment to talk mm. to my parents and have um, like, just bridge that gap on when we weren't seeing eye to eye. Um, and so I think that also helped an honorable mention to my brother, <laughs> too, I think. Wow, that's amazing. So mm -hmm. the other thing that stri strikes me, and this kind of goes on to the next <laughs> question I have, is, you know, you realize you had anxiety starting at a young age, but at the same time, you're someone who's pursuing the arts, which could be a very anxiety-ridden field. You know, you're, it's no matter what form of art you're going into, there's rejection, there's no's, mm -hmm. there's questions of if you'll make money, all that nonsense that goes into pursuing the arts. So what role has the art, have the arts played in your life? Is it something that has caused anxiety or has it kind of been an outlet for you even as you pursue it as a career? Oh, I think both. Um, there have definitely been a lot of, um, a lot of really bad moments from art um, and being in theater um, and being an actor. Um, but there have also, um, I think one of the reasons why I'm able to articulate my feelings well um, and maybe look at some of my experiences from a more objective perspective um, is because of my art, my acting training and that um, all of that theater experience. Um, yeah, there's a lot of toxicity um, in theater. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I left my BFA program, um, which is really unfortunate that it was like, art was always something that I loved and I took theater very seriously. Um, but, and, and I think it's valuable to um, uh, be able to express your emotions in, in various ways and your experience in various ways, but also learn to um, like understand other people. Like when you're, you know, acting as a different character, as a different person, you kind of have to understand their perspective in life, even if they're nothing like you, mm -hmm. um, to, to alive a very beautiful and truthful performance. So I think on that side, it's been very beautiful. Um, but then there's also, like I said, that like, I think toxicity in some of the training and um, some of the perspectives that some individuals have. Um, and that has caused a lot of anxiety and stress. Um, but at the end of the day, for, um, for me, because acting in theater and all that has done so much for me, um, when it is good and when it is like a safe um, space for growth and for learning and for expression, um, I've tried really hard to help create that space for other people. Um, so even I think there's something healing for me, um, like I recently started directing at my um, school some of the student-led projects um, and creating a safe space in the um, non-traumatizing uh, rehearsal experience for other people, like freshmen, um, a lot, I had a lot of freshmen the last year that I just directed. Um, and creating that safe space for them and that support system for them kind of helped heal my own trauma wow. from all the shows that I've had that have not been that. Mm. Um, so it's like really unfortunate to like learn from my trauma, but that's what we do. Um, and 
I'm like doing my best to make sure that other people are having the least traumatizing amount of uh, the least amount of trauma in their theater experience so that they just get the best out of it that they get the the joy of expressing themselves and the joy of learning new, new perspectives um and learning about themselves and all of that um without the amount of pain that I had to go through I guess mm-hmm um whenever anyone mentions theater because we had one of the ct crew members on this podcast uh was or ct crew i had her on the podcast and she's in the theater program at ucla Mm -hmm. every time she mentioned theater i had to try to make a leah michelle joke just because like that's my (laughs) the best grasp i have on it but i'll do my best to not hear because (laughs) i probably destroyed that joke too many times but anyway um and i know paul has been one of the anxiety people for you right i mean he was just i know paul he's he's so he's so rude all the time just I like mean, the most dictative director he's just towering that towering tall man and how evil I he is i understand um but we'll, we'll talk about that on a tell-all from the rest of the cast another time <laughs> but um i want to know like what inspired you because you you talk about art in a very passionate way and just what you just said so what inspired you to pursue the arts like was there a performance you saw or someone in your family or what was it um i think one of the early ones my cousin um he grew up doing theater hmm. um and i learned like later that my aunt was also super in like as a performer as a kid which makes a lot of sense but um one of my cousins was very into theater was like Daddy Warbucks in an elementary school production of Annie um, and went to Loxa um, and did a lot of theater there. And so I got to watch him perform and then kind of got roped into it from there. Um, I think my mom also grew up taking me to a lot of um, a lot of live performances, a lot of um, musicals. Um, the first soundtrack I ever memorized was Wicked. Um, and I used to like put performances on in the house. Um, yeah, there was a a lot of things that inspired me. Um, but I think those two are probably the biggest. So as you pursue this, this career and on this journey, you know, not only are there other people and other barriers and other roadblocks, but like for your own, in your journey, like have there ever been mental health roadblocks that made you question your pursuit? of this field or like made you question or made it difficult to reach these goals? Yeah, definitely. I think as I kind of glossed over before the um, leaving the BFA program that I was a part of was very difficult for me. Um, and for so many reasons, the like leading up to it and the things that pushed me out of the program um, and then making the decision and then all of the fallout with different people, all of that, um there was so much um there was so much stress that i had all throughout my body and so much anxiety that i couldn't um that like performing wasn't fun for me anymore like i remember doing a um the final scene i had to do for one of my classes um i was exhausted the showcase um, was booked for like 9 p.m. to midnight. So my, my slot was at like 11.30 p.m. Um, 
which is ridiculous. Yeah. And then um, I did like three shows back to back that semester. And so I was in rehearsal for one going straight into this, um, like this final pass of a scene that I was not really excited about. Um, and I remember doing it being super exhausted. Like I had trouble moving. I was um, like, I was about to collapse and I felt like multiple times that I might collapse on, on like the little stage. Uh, and afterwards, like everyone was like, oh, that was so wonderful. Like it was so raw, it was so beautiful. Um, and my response, I was like, no, like I was exhausted. I don't want to take that with me. And like, no, you know, sometimes, sometimes when you're exhausted, you have nothing left to do but just like exist in the moment. And I was like, that's awful advice. Uh, yeah. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now that I'm at my absolute breaking point, and you're telling me that this is the best performance you've ever seen me do, and that the best performance I can do only comes when I'm at my absolute breaking point. Mm. Um, and thankfully, I had I had already filmed No No Girl, so I had been in the space where I did a performance I was proud of in a very safe and healthy environment. Um, and I was already like done with that program. And so like not super valuing the input that this person was giving me. But I was like, if I had heard that any sooner, like, like if you had told me that a year ago, I would have held on to that mm. and, and gone on the absolute deep end. Um, and that's, it, it was so like hearing that I was like, wow, I'm really glad I'm where I'm at right now. Cause that is such damaging yeah. advice that you've just given me. Um, and there's been a lot of that, of <clears throat> kind of seeing that a lot of people view the best theater and the best performances and the best art is like art that's based in trauma. Mm. And that's so false. There's so much beautiful art out there that doesn't have to be drawn from traumatic experiences. Um, but I think a lot of that seeing that stuff and, and how that affected me was definitely made it difficult but sometimes to want to keep pursuing art and keep um making things mm -hmm. so yeah that's that's why i've always kind of been so i went to school for film uh for directing and i mean i know there have been like great performances of people who have like you know they're the method actor mm -hmm. and I get it to an extent, but then there's like the the flip side of like, I remember like Jared Leto when he was portraying J Joker, he was like mm -hmm. mailing like body parts or something, or it's just like I had, eh. and then like directors like like Kubrick during The Shining, like he would like actually like try to drive them crazy. It's like I think like sometimes it's like maybe it works for you but like that doesn't necessarily have to be the advice you pass on to others yeah like, it's also like well maybe it worked but look at those people after you've that yelled too. At, after you've after the run is finished like what happened yeah. I mean they're all they all talk about it. like people were genuinely uncomfortable like yeah. the co-stars of Dreadletter were genuinely uncomfortable from that um the actors in The Shining are like wanted to quit after that and, and it's horrible. Like, okay, great. You created a beautiful film in one of those cases. Um, uh -huh. And and now you've scared people away from art. And that's yeah. so tragic, too, because a lot of people go into theater and go into film and go into their these different forms of art because it's something that they're passionate about. Um, and then to scare them away with your, like, method acting and all of this is, like, 
it's so tragic because you've made something that they love into something that terrifies them. Yeah, yeah. It's it's horrible, and it's just like, I I mean, we don't have to go on this whole tangent, but I also feel like, <laughs> oh, that, I feel like that kind of takes away from the actor, like, especially if it's mm-hmm. coming from the, the director or producer or whatnot, because it's like, if you hire if you hire this actor, let them act. You don't have to scare them into the role. Like yeah. you, they they know what they're doing. So let yeah. lead like just let them lead them. But you don't have to like freak them anyway. Um, so, <laughs> but with all that said, in these times where you 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 feel like it's the lowest of the lows, and you question if you want to keep going, what keeps you pursuing these fields? Like what what draws you to this passion that you still have? Um. I think there, part of it is there are enough people in in that I've met through these experiences, um, where I want to keep working with them, um, and I think there's also a little bit of the like, uh, I know how to not trauma how to not traumatize somebody as like a director because I've been traumatized by a director, and then if I go out there and I try to be successful, that's one more person trying to push art and push theater, I guess, into like a healthier direction. And if I quit, that's one less person who's mm. doing that. Um, but also, um, those people have reminded me why I love art, why I like performing, and why um, now I love directing. Um, I also do costume design, and there are people in those fields um, where they've kept me sane enough to um, carry out the process and find the points in the process that I also just enjoy, like making the discoveries um, in the script um, and, and helping other people make discoveries in a script and then working together to create like a beautiful production um, and all of that. And then seeing the impact also afterwards of what that show means to other people who've seen it. Um, all of that together, makes me want to keep going um so like at the end of the day that that joy for now at least outweighs um the pain for a little bit there it was the opposite um but I'm glad that I was able to stick it out there was a point where I did consider just dropping out of school for a moment because it was I was so low um but thankfully I just pushed through because there were things that I was looking forward to last semester that I was like, if I quit now, I don't get to do this. And mm-hmm. I'm glad I hung on because like, or I held on because um, the stuff that happened like at the end of the semester and directing the show and all of that was so rewarding. Um, and very, just like fed my soul in a very good way. Um, where like now I can say that the joy of that outweighs the trauma that I had to go through. I, I am really glad that you were able to experience No No Girl before you heard that advice because mm-hmm. that movie made an impact on me. I mean, like, we'll get into it in a little bit, but I'm just so glad that you had those positive experiences because your performance and then also just the film in itself was like, oh, it was eye-opening to see a JA, full JA cast and to, to tell that story. So I'm just glad that you were still pursuing it at that point to be able to tell that story um but of course and (laughs) i think and i'll just kind of like more specifically on the note of what pushes you forward like when you hear the no's or when you're auditioning or where it's a project that you're turning in um 
how do you remain positive when it's not just like the bad advice or the bad experiences, but when it can maybe feel, I hope, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth and say that you did feel this way, but when you might feel like you're not good enough, like how do you push through the nose? Um, I have learned that I don't make art for other people. Mm. Um, and that's a big thing. Um, that when I'm going through a project, I mean, yeah, some of it, like as a director, I guess that a little bit making it for the other people in the cast and crew. Um, but I'm not like creating a product. Um, when I'm like specifically for theater, I'm not trying to create a product. I'm doing it because I love the experience and the growth that happens in the whole rehearsal process and everything behind the scenes. And that the performance is, um, is just a way to share that joy. Um, and yeah, and it, it wasn't necessarily for that audience. That performance and that whole experience was for me and mm -hmm. to be rewarding to myself. Um, and if other people enjoyed it, then that's great. Um, and if other people think that it's awful, then that's great. I hope they had a good laugh. You know? <laughs> um, just trying to, to remind myself why I do art. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And I guess you, you kind of mentioned like you're not making a product and um, the way you, you perform when you act, it's for yourself. And that, like, because I know you, you make physical art because you said you're a costume designer and because my screening at the OCBC, you made these amazing hats that I need to get my hands on, which I'll talk to you later. But when it comes to making a physical object and performing, you know, where it's, it's something you're doing, you can't necessarily see it until, you know, you look at a, you look at the shot after, but how do those two different mediums, how are they different and how are they similar? in terms of being a creative outlet for you? Because when you act, you won't see the film until a year, six months down the road, but you're tangibly seeing something in front of you. So how, how is it as terms of a mental health outlet, how are they similar and how are they different? Um, I think for creating like physical objects, like with crocheting or sewing, um, those for me are usually ways to just like breathe and kind of do something I mean I'm also kind of crazy sometimes when I crochet at all or like if I'm sewing and kind of trying to get something done it's a little bit crazy but mm. like usually especially I think for crocheting when I'm doing that it's um something to all like the energy of wanting to maybe fidget or you know do something I kind of put it into the piece that I'm making um and it's a way for me to just kind of breathe. It's my form of meditation because I cannot just sit and um, in like in a position for a while and just breathe. That's not ever been something I've been good at. But for crocheting, um, it makes my mind focus um, a lot better. And then I'm able to just kind of do my thing um, and kind of center myself. Um, whereas for performing, um, and acting that for me is a lot more um about growth and self-discovery huh. when i'm crocheting typically it's no thoughts head empty yeah um and when i'm performing there's a lot more like ritual 
involved, I think, in, in terms of what it's doing to my, um, not just my body, but also like my soul and my brain. Um, and yeah, I think that just like the growth in performing and finding, um, finding out new things about myself, finding new things about other people. Uh, and that's really the big difference is I think one is, one is strictly just to come back to center and be blank. And the other is, can be a lot more like crazy and, and dynamic, um, but really about like that growth experience. No, totally. That makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, uh, I can't crochet, but I mean, like doing little <laughs> fidget, fidgety little things with your hands, it's like head empty relaxation. I totally get that. Mm -hmm. In terms of self-discovery and, and performance, you, you lead me directly into No-No Girl. Uh, I'd love to know what, what, what experiences were like working on that film and for you as a person and your growth, but also just as a film set and working with that team. Like, how was that for you? Um, that was my first time doing a film ever. Um, all of my acting experience prior, other than like a McDonald's commercial when I was in third grade, <laughs> uh, everything I've, most of what I've done has been live theater. So one of the weird things is knowing that I can see this product at the end. Mm. That's, that's a little bit weird for me still. I, it took me probably like, five viewings of Nona Real to be able to watch it and be like, oh, that was enjoyable. Because wow. first, it was like the premiere, I was so panicked. Because um, I was like, oh my god, everyone's here and watching it, and this is so weird. And then there were like some of the screenings where I was like, oh, wow, I'm awful. You're, <laughs> you're a terrible actor. Who let you do this? Um, and then being like, wait, no, okay, you just, you're getting used to the way your voice sounds and traffic was really bad coming up here, so calm down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that, that was, I think, a weird aspect, uh, but working with everyone on the casting crew was very re rewarding. Um, I was very anxious going into filming. Um, I was very excited too, but a lot of anxiety because I knew that this was my first time in a film. Um, I... I didn't know what that was like at all. I was going in completely blind. Um, and I'm a college student. So most of my experience for a performance up to that point has been through school. Um, and now I'm you know, on a set with a bunch of people who've been putting in work for a very long time and have very full credits um, and a lot of merit. <laughs> Um, and very like well-known people who were in this film with me and I was like that's crazy I don't deserve to be here mm. um, and I had like a lot of imposter syndrome um, but everyone was so supportive um, at like every chance they got um, if I ever had anything to say of being like um but, you know like it was okay I'm you know I'm still learning I would say that a lot it was like I was still learning and it was kind of my cop-out I think um of being like if, I, if this sucks I can say that I'm a student and I'm still learning uh -huh. um but like at every chance everyone got they were very quick to tell me that like yes you're still learning but you're doing a very good job um and not in like a I was fishing for compliments but purely because 
they truly believed that. Um, and so that was very, um, made a lot of the anxiety of filming go away. Hmm. See, for it's interesting because I mean, and I'd love to hear your what you think, especially after the pro, the the process of filming. But I would think, from my perspective, going from stage to uh, film would be so much easier because you have takes, you could mess up. But where, if you could try to describe, where did the anxiety come from in terms of being in front of a camera? Um. When you're on a stage and you're a little further away from the audience, mm. you know, you can go through the motions physically and and most people, like, will be able to kind of tell. Also, again, most of my performances have been in a high school or college setting. So then there's also that caveat of, like, I'll say for, like, more more um uh, professional actors will tell you what I just said is not good advice and it isn't but in a college and high school setting going through the motions is fine and being in that distance um, and even if it's not like super truthful and you're not feeling everything and all that jazz um, on stage you can still convey a, like the plot very well and mm. the emotion needed to the audience for the camera, um, not as much because it's up in your face. Mm. Um, also, again, this was now a professional level. I think if I'd done like a professional stage production before Nono Girl, I probably would have had the same anxiety. That's fair. Because um, yeah. I kind of lost that, I guess, the little excuse um, <laughs> of mediocrity that being in the school setting brings. And that's like not to bash school setting because there's a lot of very beautiful art, but there's also some art that's, that's you know, it's, <laughs> it's you like, that was good for high school. Like, and that's kind of my, how my experience, I think, was up to that point. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, for, like, a professional film, like, a professional environment, uh, and then the added bonus of it being on film, and so the camera's very... A very nice, very expensive, very clear <laughs> camera. Um, every little facial expression that you make, you know, people can see what's going on. Um, yeah. And you have to just be a little more invested. Also, then you're doing like take after take and then like, and then shot after shot. And you're like, wow, that shot that was the back of my head, I was way more emotionally invested. Like that tear <laughs> came down. And nobody got it on camera because uh, it wasn't on me. And so then there was like that fear. Um, and then okay, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be on this shot for like, um, you know, fifty takes because I can't. I keep on like getting in my head. So there was I think a lot of that too, of mm -hmm. that experience. Um, yeah. Gotcha. So okay, so I wanna, I wanna ask you about the the act the actor in you and let's just use no no girl as the example so for for sue who you played in no no girl uh and also for anyone who wants to know more about this film just go listen to paul's episode or go to the no no girl account because i'm not going to make you do the synopsis of the whole <laughs> thing again because i made paul do that already but when you read the script and you learn about your character 
How do you discover what Sue is and who Sue is? Like, how do you find your character and how you're going to portray these words on a page? Um, I think for Nona Girl and for Sue, it was a much different experience than any other script I've read. Um, because usually it's like, okay, let's read the script a couple of times. How would I say this right now? Sure. And then also, okay, who's this person? How old are they? Where are they from? Uh, what do other people say about them? All that jazz. Um, and, you know, what, what is their arc? What makes them tick? All those different things. For Sue, the first time I got to read the script, I was like, this, this is just me. Hmm. Like, there are some things that, like, yeah, it's not exactly my life. But there was also a lot that I was like, that is weird. And I've said this before, <laughs> it felt like it felt like Paul had been spying on my life and then wrote a film. Like it was really it was very strange because there were so many parallels and so many things I so deeply related to. Hmm. And I've never read a script ever where it was that relatable. Like to so many details. Even, like the um the cousin like Kento and Alan being best friends. My cousin Tim and my brother Noah are the best of friends. And, Funny. And, like, they've always been super close. And then there's been me, and I'm like, <laughs> hi. I'm <laughs> going to go craft with my aunt now. You guys have fun playing video games that I'm not good enough to look at. <laughs> um, you know, like, or that I genuinely didn't have interest in, too. Right. There's that. Um, yeah, so that was a very unique experience for reading No No Girl. Um, where I was like, I don't have to do much mm. um, because the character was so close to me and my own personal life. Um, yeah, where I was like, I'm just going to say the words how they affect me right now <laughs> because these are like, I mean, there is even, there's a whole, um, a lot of mentions about Sue having um, trouble finding friends um, and like with her roommate situation, um, and there's just kind of that sense that she doesn't have a lot of people in like her close circle that she can rely on. Um, I mean, there's even that line that was so heartbreaking um, of in in this in a conversation with her mother where she says, "In life, just like in this family, I am alone." Mm. And that line, when I first read it, it was. It was something I would, I couldn't actually imagine verbally saying to my mother, but something I had felt before. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I remember reading that and being, oh, like this person understands, understands my experience as a 20 year old Japanese American female. Um, yeah, so I, in a very weird way, didn't have to work hard to bring Sue to life. Wow. Yeah. So, and then the other the other side of No No Girl that I find so that I love so much. I mean, it kind of centers around it, but it's the emphasis on the camps, you know. And I think going into that film, knowing history about the camps, a lot of it even then was still eye opening. You know, like I, I work in Little Tokyo. I I've been to the 
to Jana many times and you know like I, I try to educate myself on JA history but some of that stuff was still eye-opening you know mm -hmm. so I'd love to know like did you what was your awareness of JA history or your family's history in uh, World War II or, or what did you discover about the JA experience? Um, oh I, I knew a lot because my dad from from when my brother and I were a very young age was um, very adamant about making sure we knew where we came from um, and making sure that that history didn't get lost. So anytime we went to um, uh, to Mammoth, we would stop at Manzanar on the way there. Wow. I'd, I'd been there with various different versions um, like of Manzanar's museum set up, um, of their museum and then the like, the barracks. Um, wow. Like there was a point where every year we would go and there'd be one new thing. <laughs> really? Uh, wow. Yeah. Like, because there was like when there were just the one kind of one barrack that was up and then there was when like the bathroom and the mess hall and then the basketball courts, like it slowly got built at a certain point. And I remember that every time it was like something different. Um, so I knew a lot about JA history. Um, I think something that I learned was more of the tension between um, between generations, um, specifically like with the Nisei generation um, and the Issei of, and that tension of how do we push to hear more about your story? Um, I guess also the Sansei, the Nisei and Sansei generations clashing more of that. Um, like, how do we learn more about your history um, when you won't even talk to us about it? And then the balance of like, it's in the past, so forget it. But also the like, well, we need to learn about the past so things don't get repeated. And also, again, it's where we came from, so we need to know that. Um, I don't think I experienced as, um, because I, I was so young when my when I lost my grandmother, my bachan, and um, I never met my uh, my jishan. Um, but so I never saw that clash happen. Um, but I saw a lot of my dad trying to uncover history um, and go through that. And I guess experiencing No No Girl and seeing um, the dynamic of like, um, Uncle Bob and Sue and Uncle Bob and everyone else. Um, and um, yeah, seeing that dynamic and then realizing how much I think my dad was digging and maybe hitting roadblocks I didn't even know were there. Um, it was kind of eye-opening. Hmm. Yeah, I found I found so much of it interesting because I, I it makes me, it made me decide to like talk to my family about and I still have it because there's still the stigma of talking about it mm -hmm. of actually asking about like oh like what what did grandma and grandpa say about the war because because I haven't asked you know I, I I've read about it I've learned about it but I haven't ever asked my own family about their experiences yeah. with it and um it's funny because like when I told my parents like oh I, I'm seeing this movie called no no girl they're like oh th that's similar to no no boy like that was a thing I was like yeah exactly that's what it's based on so just so much of it was like oh i i need to and so much of our people in our age need to actually learn about it because 
I think outside of the JA community, no one will really talk about the the, the Japanese Americans in terms of World Barely. War II. Mm-hmm. Like, Very I, like, like, I remember being so confused in, uh, what year is that? 11th grade about why it was not discussed at all. Like it was glossed yep. over. And it was yeah. just like, this is all I know about, not all I know about World War II because it's obviously it's more complex than that. But like, I was like, this is so much of what I know about World War II. How come it's not t- talked about, you know? Yeah, it was literally, I remember um, it was a paragraph in my yeah. AP US history textbook. Um, and I learned more um, like in class about um, the internment from my white Japanese teacher <laughs> um, and because she made a point about making sure um, at least her AP students um, knew the history um, and was very good about like um, making sure that nobody was abbreviating um, Japanese like on their on the oh. so things with JP and they, she was like if you do it it's JPN or you're right out Japanese yeah and this is why uh-huh. um, and from like from the first class you had with her that wasn't just for AP students that was for everyone um and I remember I was like it's interesting that I'm learning more about the history of World War II in this class than I did from the textbook in mm. my AP US history class it's right. really heartbreaking sorry did you say you're white Japanese she was uh, yeah it was for my Japanese and she's white and it's it, oh, just a testament okay. I think to um to Watson sensei and her um even though it wasn't her personal history um gotcha. she was very good about um contextualizing what she was teaching gotcha. um which I really appreciate uh, as you know I mean it's not necessarily something something she had to do um but she did it because it was like the right thing to do right right i was just confused because i thought you were talking about someone that was hapa i was like <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> i was like white <laughs> japanese but okay that's interesting yeah i i remember because i had one friend who was japanese in my class otherwise there was we were the only two japanese kids in our class now we were like okay well i want to go to the janum and like go through and actually like look at or read up about it because our class isn't reading up about it and then mm-hmm. uh, I remember the AP exam didn't discuss it at all either which mm-hmm. was I mean good because a lot of people wouldn't have passed that those questions yeah. but yeah it's a uh, it's an important film and uh, I'm, I'm really excited for hopefully more opportunities for people to screen it in the area and outside too because I always think about the JA community outside of California like what what is that experience like it's got to be yeah a lot more difficult I would think but uh I have a few fun little silly questions but Mika before I get there do you have anything else you'd like to say or before we get there I don't think so okay let's do this (laughs) (laughs) cool so these are just silly ones uh no no pressure I promise but first one is if you could invite five people to dinner dead or alive who would they be oh god okay um (laughs) Taylor Swift has to be one of them. <laughs> Did you get tickets? Yes. Oh wow! Okay, miraculously. <laughs> um, okay, Taylor Swift. Um, Roy Choi, uh, John Favreau. One of my goals is to meet 
the the two of them and like all of us get to that's together. awesome yeah that's awesome one of my goals in life um let's see them three um ooh. um brad leone from bon appetit okay and and yuri kochiawa because you have to right for the j community I'm that's so a, that's such a curveball from the other four, which I think is really funny. But I was like, no, I love one that. person who's not. In I love that, that so bubble. much. <laughs> and so, do you love the movie Chef? Then, yes, absolutely. Love that, that. Oh, life changing. Such a good movie. I love that movie, and it's. I'm so glad you said Yuri Kochiyama because, so like, if I were ever to get a big budget film. I would love to do a biopic because I think she, dude, like it's such yeah. a cinematic Her life. Her life is incredible. Incredible life. It's There's so many cinematic moments in it. Like yeah, obviously I'm, all the Malcolm X stuff, but just her own experiences. Too, ugh, it's just like. And people just don't know about it. No, no one knows at about it. At all. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah. Whatever. History that people just I don't know. know. Whenever I talk about, like, when people ask me, like, oh, like, what would you love to make as a film? I, like, I tell them about that. It's like, the, my go-to is, like, she held Malcolm X, like, when he was assassinated. Like, people, yeah. and they're like, what? Like, people don't You're know like, about that part. Look at this picture yeah. of Malcolm X and look at who's holding his head. It's, <laughs> she, yeah, I, I, I love her story. And I'm so glad you said that. That would be such a fun dinner. <laughs> I'd, I'd be that's so such, curious yeah, what she'd have to obscure, say. That's such an obscure dinner. I, I wonder what, like, what a Taylor Swift, your Kuchiyama, <laughs> like, what that dynamic would do, you know? Oh, God. I would love to I just like have... the discourse that they would have would be incredible. I'd love to her to Taylor Swift to talk about her lyrics and who her songs are about and then yuri just being like well what about workers rights what about what about unions <laughs> i feel like taylor oh, swift would totally veer into that conversation too yeah yeah <laughs> i love it i love it um oh paul gave one of my favorite answers to this question but if you were a raindrop where would you fall that's so odd I, wherever the cloud took me i don't think okay. you really have a choice as a raindrop you know hey that's fair that's fair he <laughs> said into his own mouth and that was my favorite response. so gross <laughs> if i had a choice uh it would be um it would be on taylor swift's shoulder <laughs> okay <laughs> but very i feel good. like a raindrop is not my choice you know you go where the go where the cloud takes me you're very <laughs> right you're very right Probably wouldn't bring you back to California, obviously. But no, I don't think yeah. so. I think I would just, yeah, that would be interesting. What, what yeah. would that cycle be like? Be like as a raindrop. <laughs> That's fun. That's fun. Back I love up that. into the clouds and then dropping again on somewhere else. <laughs> you could just drop. You, I mean, it's a continuous cycle, so you could go everywhere and anywhere. You know. That's true. Um. Okay. You may not have an answer for this, but if you do, what would your dream role be? Oh, gosh, I don't know anymore. Oh. Um, I say anymore because for a long time I was like, oh, wouldn't it be so cool to like, you know, maybe one day when I'm like an old woman, I'll play like a role in a movie that's like about the Japanese American experience, but like not one that happened in the camps, but like today's Japanese American yeah. experience. And I was like, that's never going to happen. <laughs> so then I was like, when I'm like 80 and then it happened. And so now I, now I don't know. Um, because yeah, because that was 
my dream role. And then it was the first film I got yeah. to be in. And I'm very, um, I'm very grateful for that. And I do not take that for granted at all. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe you'll, hey, who knows? Maybe you'll play Yuri. Yeah, uh -huh. maybe. Or, yeah. Because it can't be like Michelle Yeoh. I, no, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So, all right. Interesting. Interesting. No Marvel characters in your, in your dream. Um, I don't know enough about okay. like <laughs> the. I I know a lot about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I don't know enough about like the comic books to be like you know, which character I would play because I was like, do they have a Japanese-American female? <laughs> or would you like someone that I could, you know, yeah. ask for? Um, I don't know. If we're talking like something in the Disney monopoly, um, I think being I think being in a Star Wars something mm. would be really cool. That would be cool. Uh, no, not, I hope this isn't a spoiler, but I could see it just based on a certain scene where you're holding a sword in Wonder Girl. <laughs> a certain, a certain scene. <laughs> a certain scene. I hope that wasn't spoiled. Do I need to cut? I'll ask Paul if I need to cut that. I, I hope I didn't spoil anything. Um, <laughs> a certain scene where I hold a certain object <laughs> that, if you were to Photoshop, could become a lightsaber. A light, yeah, totally. Yeah, it's yeah. a baguette. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that recovery. All right, cool. We have we have an alternate in case I need to cut the first part. Uh, and then to round it out, so what would the title of your autobiography be? Uh, oh my gosh, that's such a loaded question. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like that would have to be like tied into No No Girl. You know, like becoming <laughs> becoming No No Girl. Um. Um, wow, I don't know. Uh, or I can see my brother's, like, um, my brother's Xbox name, and it would be something about, like, just joking, but, like, D-Y-O. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That's a yeah, fun one. It depends. I think if, it depends like what I would write about, you know, what else happens yeah. in my life. True. Uh, that would be like book worthy. Um, Becoming a Jedi because that's in your future. <laughs> maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe if I like become a comedian, then it could be like just joking. <laughs> I like that. That's a, that's a good one. I, I, I have, I have no other, I don't think that's beatable, <laughs> but Mika, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, everyone, go see No No Girl if it's coming to your city, or hopefully, hopefully someday it's on either streaming hopefully. or DVD <laughs> or wherever people are going to be getting movies soon. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to seeing you in the next the next film or the next stage performance. Thank you. Thank you so much to Mika for joining me on the podcast and discussing their acting career, their experiences with mental health and all other realms of creativity and just getting to know her a lot more. Um, I think it was great and a great way to start off season three. Uh, with that said, if you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe to our show for episodes that release every other Tuesday and give us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. 
If you would like to support our podcast and help us grow, you can do so with a donation to the link at the bottom of the episode description. To hear more about Changing Tides, follow us on Instagram at LTSC underscore Changing Tides or check out our website, thechangingtides.org. Let's continue to change the tides on mental health. We get, we get.